You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. Well, let's open up here to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, You can open up there with me if you've got your Bibles in hand. Guess what? If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers will pass one to you. This is the first Sunday we're doing this in a long time. Wow, man, are things getting back to normal or what? Wow, Bibles in hands. I don't know. Are we passing them out? I don't know. Hey, hey, we are passing them out here. All right, they're sanitized or something, I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure. They're very responsible. That wasn't a joke, okay? You have to mention that with everything today, and it's valid. So anyway, uh, enjoy your Bibles. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, as Pastor Brock was preaching last week, you know, he looked at this this four set of scenes where Jesus is working among the harassed and the helpless, it says in the text. They're, They're the sheep without a shepherd, and what we saw was the heartbeat of Jesus's ministry, of God in the flesh, his ministry, what was driving him constantly was compassion. And the call even for more workers to be sent out in the harvest, it doesn't just come from this place of saying, hey, let's all get to work, let's just labor. It comes from this like motive of compassion, like there's so many sheep out there without a shepherd. And now as we turn to Matthew chapter 10, we're reading some significant scripture today. It's a good amount, over 30 verses, 31 verses to be exact, I don't want to scare you. You know, this is significant. Uh, Jesus is going to commission his own ministry workers out into the harvest for a specific mission in the region of Galilee among the Jews. And I think through this text, we're going to see the foundational nature of what it means to be a ministry worker in God's kingdom. There's going to be so many qualities about how Jesus commissions them that also should characterize us today as kingdom workers, all right? But buckle up. We always get into the Word of God sometimes. It's a shorter passage sometimes. It's a bit longer. It's a bit longer today, but we're going to move through it. We got out on time last service, so don't be too scared. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. 
Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will be not you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, the prince of demons, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care? And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I think that's enough for today, right? I mean, there are so many different ways to approach this 31 verses, this passage. But like I said, what I want to do is look at this through a very specific lens. I'm going to have to die to sharing some things I want to share because we only have so much time. But I want to look at it through the lens of understanding the nature of our ministry that we have as God's kingdom workers in this world. And you might say to me, well, I don't have a job in ministry as one of God's kingdom workers. Well, the scripture declares otherwise. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, I, as a pastor, am told that one of my roles is to equip the saints. That is the church. That's all of you for service in the world, which is just another word for ministry. So, in fact, you are workers, and this is going to be a bit of an equipping session as we look at the nature of their ministry and use it to describe the nature of our own. Now, as the passage opens up, there's a very specific commissioning that's happening here. Starting with Jesus gathering together for the first time in Matthew's Gospel, the 12. This is the first time they're actually designated the 12, named the 12. And we know that this is a special commissioning because this is the first and last, it's the only time in Matthew's Gospel that the word apostle is used as a title to describe these 12 disciples. The word apostle simply means one sent on a mission. So they're being commissioned for a specific mission. Now, out of the larger band of disciples that were following Jesus, we can presume that these 12 were commissioned specifically because they were representing sort of a new spiritual leadership over the 12 tribes of Israel, hand-selected by the nation's new God-King, Jesus. Now, to them is given a scope of authority akin to Jesus himself. You understand that? For this specific mission in Galilee, they are told... They are going to cast out demons like Jesus has been doing. They're going to preach the same message as Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand, right? That's how Jesus began his preaching. That, that was the summary statement. They're going to heal every disease. It says every disease, just like you see Jesus doing, healing every disease. And it even says they're going to raise the dead. That is a wide scope of authority that Jesus is commissioning them into. 
You know, I was recently disappointed by someone's scope of authority. We, my wife and I and our three-month-old, we went on a short vacation, used a, you know, a couple uh, days of you know, credit card points to go to Santa Barbara. We went as cheap as possible. And uh, we haven't gotten away in a long time, but when we got there, it was supposed to be a decent hotel, but the AC wasn't working. So it was sweltering, and it wasn't so bad for us as much as it was for our three-month-old. He's up all night crying, blah, blah, blah. So the next day, we say, it's not working. They can't fix it. They'll move us to another room. But the issue was there was no vacancy at the hotel. So what room were they moving us to? Well, they were moving us to the room where no one was in because it smelled like raw sewage. Yeah, great, right? How awesome. Okay, but it had AC. So anyway, we just kept the bathroom door shut and didn't go in there. And we got done with the trip and we're driving home. You know, that was our two days, you know, away and it was less than stellar at the hotel. Everything else was great. And so I got on the phone with customer service, you know, the credit card points thing. And we're on there for two hours with someone from the other side of the world. Oh, we'll work on this. We'll get this sorted out. And by the end of it, okay, your credit has been processed and it's through. Okay, well, like, what's the credit? 20 bucks. 20 bucks worth of credit card points. 20 bucks. Two hours on the phone, over two hours on the phone. That's less than $10 an hour. That's less than minimum wage is what I made trying to sort this out on the phone. And I said to him, is that the most that you can do? That's the most that we can do. That's the most that we can do. Is there someone else I can speak to? You're speaking to them. That's it. That was the scope of their authority. And now with us, right, we consider this passage, Jesus conferring all this authority on these 12 disciples, and we wonder, well, what's the scope of our authority? And who determines it? Well, I think we all agree, right? Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one who uh, determines what sort of authority any of us has. In this passage, he could confer all of his authority, basically, to these 12 disciples for this mission in Galilee. How much authority have we received? I mean, he's the head of the church. I'm not. So if he tells me I've got the spiritual equivalent of 20 bucks to give out, I mean, that's how much authority I have. There are some people who walk around as if they have all of the authority of Jesus. They have received his full authority. And they want to teach others that they have the full authority of Jesus. You know, they walk around acting like it. Guys, have you met anyone who's healing every disease? Have you met anyone who's raising people from the dead? Well, they say, oh, we just don't have enough faith. You know, while Jesus can exert his full power through anyone that he chooses, it would appear with me, you know, if you're tracking with me, that this is a wider scope of authority than should be expected on the part of us as disciples today. Okay, because I don't read in the pastoral letters, you know, all these instances of Paul or Peter saying, hey guys, and remember... Uh, by the way, if anyone gets sick in the community, anybody in the community can just heal them instantly. You know, we're going to heal every disease. And by the way, if anyone dies in the Christian community, all you got to do is just exercise that authority Jesus gave you, and you're just going to raise them up right away. You know, you don't see that in the pastoral letters, but you really would if that was the expectation in terms of conferring authority. So what is the scope of our authority? And this is so important because there's so many teachings out there today, and I want to do a one-night teaching on authority in the ministry because it gets confused. Maybe it's not to the full extent of Matthew 10, but it's not nothing. I think if we want to understand the authority that we're operating in, we have to go to our commissioning, which is part of the global mission described in Matthew chapter 28. Let's go there together. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. It'll be on the screens. It begins saying, Jesus came to them and said, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. 
But if that didn't occur, if they're proclaiming peace, they're proclaiming the kingdom, and that gets rejected, they were supposed to walk away, leave the home, leave the town, shake the dust off their feet, say, I don't even want the dust from this town to follow me where I'm headed. And that was a statement of judgment upon that home or town. And the judgment is pretty serious, right? Jesus said, oh, in God's hands, it's going to be worse for those folks that reject this message of the kingdom than it was and will be for Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know that they were destroyed by literal hellfire. But do you see the posture of the disciples as they go about this ministry? They're givers. They're givers. They're not takers. They come open-handed. They're proclaiming peace. Wholeness is the Jewish concept in shalom. So it's the same thing as us. As we go around, you know, fulfilling the commission that Jesus has given us in Matthew chapter 28, what are we doing? We're saying, man, there's forgiveness of sin available. God is not holding your sin against you through Jesus' work on the cross. You can be reconciled to God. That is spiritual wholeness. It's peace. That's what we're offering. That's the same posture that they had. They, they were to go and heal every disease. They were providing this physical peace, this physical wholeness. Right? As kingdom workers, we too are supposed to posture ourselves as givers while proclaiming peace. That's our relationship to the world. It's similar to the relationship I have as a father to young kids. I'm a giver. I'm a giver. That's all that it is. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and say to my kids, hey, make my breakfast, dress me, and wipe me. Okay, I know that's crude, but that's what I hear from my kids every day of my life. Those are the words. All right, I have no expectation that they're going to give to me. The expectation is I'm giving to them. I sat with somebody from this community yesterday, and he's like, man, I don't want to give you a complex, but looking at you, man, your crow's feet are strong. You're kind of looking old. It's true. And you did give me a complex, because I'm talking about it in my sermon, all right? But, man, you know, you look at that, you know, there's the church, and that's kid one, and that's kid two, because of giving, that's my posture. I'm not looking for anything in return. And that's our posture to the rest of this world as kingdom workers. We're not looking for mutuality in our neighborhood. You're going to be disappointed. Don't look for mutuality when it comes to like us working with the city. Oh, I'm waiting for them to roll out the red carpet and notice how wonderful and beautiful we are and welcome us into the middle center stage of everything. No, this isn't a two-way street. This is a one-way street. We're givers. We're proclaiming peace. Okay, what if they reject that peace? Your neighbors, your coworkers, all these people that are going to take from you and not give back. Okay, and that's actually how it's supposed to work. What if that peace doesn't rest with them and they reject the gospel, they reject your kingdom example? Do you throw down? Do you fight? Do you debate and argue and arm wrestle with people? No. Jesus says you're a giver and you're proclaiming peace. You walk away. Leave them be. Leave them be. You have one lane. I have one lane. As a kingdom worker in this world, I got one task. I give and I proclaim peace. And if there's conflict and there's issues, I don't go anywhere else. I don't have another lane I can operate in. God says, well, there's two lanes. There's your lane and then there's my lane. I handle everything past that point. You don't handle things past that point, right? Stay in your lane. Give and proclaim peace. That's what it means to be a kingdom worker. God says in many places in the scriptures, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And it's not going to be pretty from what Jesus says, but that's not our business. 
Now, this becomes a transition for Jesus, and it's starting to get a little darker. It started really, you know, happy. Authority, we love that. Uh, starting to go sideways here. I'm sending you out unequipped. That becomes a transition for him to start preparing his apostles for the eventual persecutions that were to follow the expansion of his work. Because as the message of the kingdom was going out, people were loving it, right? A little populist movement was, was starting, and, and that message as it spread, though, was starting to hit those, you know, centers of authority, you know, those authority structures. And Jesus was saying, well, as things start to pick up, we saw it in the last chapter, you're going to start receiving some negative attention by those who are in high places. He said they'd be handed over to the local councils and synagogues, put before kings and governors, flogged and arrested. And due to their defenseless and giving posture, right, that we just covered, they're going to be defenseless. They're going to be giving. They're not going to have all these resources. Jesus says in verse 16, they were to be as vulnerable as sheep among wolves. He's telling them, guys, I'm sending you out and you're wolf food. You're dinner for this world. You're going to be devoured the way I've set you up. Oh, man, I'm sure at this point in Jesus' teaching, these guys are like, hey, can we go back a few minutes like to the authority piece again? It's a strange juxtaposition, right? You're going to raise the dead, and you're going to be as vulnerable as sheep among wolves. I mean, that's a juxtaposition right there. They want to go backward, but Jesus doesn't even let up. He says, to make matters worse, there's going to be division among family members. Brother's going to turn against brother, children against their parents, parents against their children. And you almost get this picture like, Family members are playing informant for the authorities and people are being put to death. Well, guess what? We have in recorded history that happened in the near term following this teaching. In AD 40, it's recorded in Acts chapter 12. James, one of the leaders, early leaders of the church, the brother of the apostle John, is put to death in a persecution against Christians. They don't even know what Christians stand for at that point. In AD 60, you guys know, the Emperor Nero, he's putting Christians up on posts and lighting them on fire for his dinner parties. In the early 2nd century, Emperor Trajan, huge persecution among Christians, probably the greatest in that time in history. And Christians are losing their property, right, and being thrown in jail and being executed just for carrying the name of Christian, just being associated with Christ. But how are the apostles supposed to respond to these Tense relationships. Jesus equips them. He says, okay, as kingdom workers, you're going to be as shrewd as snakes. And I think we're all like, yeah, baby, bring on the venom. We're going to protect ourselves. But then he says something that, you know, don't throw the, don't tread on me flags up just yet, okay, American friends, all right? I mean, I know we want to go there. There's a snake. He says, I want you to be as innocent as doves. So when he uses the reference for the snake, he's not saying, oh, you're going to be venomous. You're going to attack back when you're attacked. Oh, no, the snake can hide, right? The snake can slither away and escape. It's smart. It's shrewd. That's the picture of the snake. I want you guys to be smart. Be on guard. When you get persecuted in one place, I want you to move on to another place. But no matter what happens where you go, even as you face evil, you'll be untainted by it. You're going to remain like a dove innocent as a dove. As kingdom ministers, when we are faced with evil, we are innocent. We are innocent of it. We don't become werewolves when we have wolves attacking us. We don't employ the tactics that have been employed against us. We're to actually use our conflict as an opportunity to only continue to witness to the grace of Jesus in all purity. 
When we're put before authorities, he says, then you're going you're to speak to them about me in all purity. And that bears out in the book of Acts over and over and over again as an example to us. Ultimately, though, the apostles were warned, hey, guys, you're going to be hated. You're going to be hated by everyone. Oh, that's such a bummer statement. Uh, we have that, you know, preparing us for kingdom work in the world. You're going to be hated by everyone. Because of who? Because of Jesus. He says, if I am doing the works that I'm doing, I'm proclaiming peace. I'm healing disease. I'm setting people free from spiritual oppression. You know what they're calling me? The prince of demons. So what do you think is going to happen to you? You're the students of this master. You're going to be called the same. You're going to be hated by everyone because of me. Now, I want to admit something to you, a little real talk right now. We Christians, we love to use this anytime we have a disagreement with anyone. We start waving this around. This got waved around all this last year. For any time anybody had a disagreement with us, we go, see, we're being hated. All because of Jesus. A lot of times we're being hated because of us. You know, don't blame Jesus for our behavior. Okay, you know, when we started seeing some of those gatherings early on in COVID for Christians down on the beach and things are getting shut down. And, you know, Christians are being told, you can't gather here on the beach. You know, immediately the cry was, throw up your hands. Oh, we're being hated, see? City officials, everybody's against us. The whole world is against us, hates Christ. Come on. You're being hated for the same reason, you know, the country music festival would have been hated if they showed up with their trucks, besides playing country music. (laughs) Just kidding, it's great on the 4th of July. I love it then. You're being hated. You're being shut down because you're setting up. You're, you're, you're disobeying the ordinances. And you know who's shutting you down? It's the police officers who are oftentimes sympathetic to your cause and even Christians themselves. You know, I know plenty of churches in Huntington Beach that didn't miss one week of gathering together. They had their own facilities. They didn't listen to a single ordinance. They kept meeting Tell me one of them that was shut down. Tell me one of them that was fined in this city. I know of not one that was shut down. The city turned a blind eye because we have favor. We have favor in this city and don't let anyone tell you any different. In our meeting with the city this last week, we're introducing common ground to the city because they've got this whole plan for Oakview Rising. They can see, wow, the believers are already doing something, right, with common ground. And they had found out, right, common ground had found out that day, just, you know, three days ago, four days ago, that we no longer had transportation to take the kids down to the beach. And we're talking, we're like five, six days away from our first day of surf camp with these 50 kids, preaching the gospel to them, bringing them out in the surf. Guess what? That transportation is now provided for. By who? By the city. For free. Don't tell, yeah, praise God. And don't tell me we don't have favor in this city. Anyone who's saying that we're hated and we're being so persecuted in the city of Huntington Beach, they're either paranoid or they've got some other agenda that they're trying to push by setting up this combative, hostile sort of attitude. Guys, no one is getting ratted out by their kids for being a Christian and being brought before the local city council and getting flogged. Not in any city in America. Especially not in Huntington Beach. Now you can tell me, well, you just wait a couple years. We're going to start getting flogged. Okay, okay. But I'm just saying right now, our defensive victim mentality as Christians that's fueled by anxiety 
is making our friends out to be enemies. And when you become suspicious of your friends, that's when you start losing your friends. We've got to stop being so suspicious of our friends. We've got to stop waving this scripture around. Different context. In that context, they were hated. They would be victims. And after laying out this mission of giving everything freely to those who will receive them and being under-equipped for the journey, no resources to speak of, relying on the hospitality of strangers, going out and being put before authorities and asked to speak about the gospel with their life on the line and being betrayed by family members to the point of death, Jesus sets out this whole plan for their ministry and he says, so guys, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, are you kidding me, Jesus? Did you just hear what you told us? You said the authority piece, I got that. You could have jumped to the don't, do not be afraid piece, but you get all this stuff in between about the poverty, about the rejection, about the betrayal, about the beatings, about the trials, about the imprisonment, about the death. So in summary, do not be afraid. And not even just don't be afraid. Actually, I want you to take all the things you've heard in the dark and bring them into the light. And I want you to take everything I've whispered in your ear and I want you to go shout it from the rooftops so everybody can hear you. You're going into a wild territory. You're going to be beaten, jailed, totally under-equipped, put before authorities. Do not be afraid, guys. Now, do you realize the irony as we study through this passage that circumstantially, as we receive this message today, this was a conflict I was feeling the whole time I'm prepping this, we are the inverse of their circumstances. We are the negative image of their circumstances. They're being sent out under-equipped. We here in Orange County, right, the good majority of us, we got gold and silver. We got shirts and in Huntington Beach, sandals aplenty, right? Closets filled with the stuff. We got tons of resources. We don't need to go out there and rely on the hospitality of people. We got things covered for ourselves. That's what we work so hard to do. We got ours taken care of. We're not being put before authorities and beaten and whipped. We're being helped by them, invited by them into their main initiatives where we're going to proclaim the gospel. We are the inverse of everything that we're talking about right here. And yet we have an enormous amount of fear. And yet we are highly anxious. And yet we're more protective of our resources than even they were at that time. And it seems like right now we're less likely to speak about the kingdom and operate in the authority of Jesus to see disciples made. I think one of the pervasive viruses of this last year that not a lot of people have focused on is that pervasive virus of fear. And it is threatening Christianity. And Jesus has the antidote here. He says he wants to make disciples who are fearless. Fearless. It's not like, I just don't want you to be that afraid or, you know, when you're really concerned. Look at what he's saying here. He's laying it out, and he's laying out worst-case scenarios that some of them we're going to experience, and he's saying what you guys are capable of living is nothing less than living fearlessly. You're not going to have any fear whatsoever. Why? 
Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He either does or he doesn't. If he does, and we trust him, he has the diminishing number of hairs on my head numbered. He knows exactly how much I'm losing every day. The count is getting bleaker. But that's like an illustration of this is how attentive God is to everything that's going on, especially even the specifics of your life, the insignificant specifics of your life and my life. So we worry about all these things. We're afraid about all these things. Jesus says, if you understood the care of your Father in heaven, if you understood how all-encompassing and how secure your soul is in him, you'd be fearless. And here we have all these circumstantial reasons not to fear at all, and we're gripped by it. COVID was a great teacher for me personally because I got tested in all these different fears. In the first couple weeks, everybody's because they don't know the threat of the virus. Who's going who's gonna to perish from it, you know? So there's the threat of death for a few weeks or months. For some of you, the whole year. You move on from that, oh, it's economic collapse. My wife works in the event industry. I'm a pastor of a church that doesn't even gather now in person anymore, right? Then after that, it's the threat of the spiritual community. Where are the sheep? How are they doing? We have no means of getting together for eight months. Or when we gather together, are they going to be here? There's this threat of the spiritual community. There's all the political and social upheaval that threatens the eternal unity of Christ's people. All these threats, and I want you to know, in my personal testimony, they did nothing but serve to strengthen my resolve, strengthen my faith and trust in Jesus. And on the other side of it, you say, what are you going to throw at me now? I mean, everything has been tested. I can tell you on the other side of this last year, it's like, I'm not going to spend any time on imaginary fears, first of all, and even the real ones aren't going to threaten us at all anymore. It's about becoming fearless as disciples, as evidence of faith. And you may not be there, and I'm not shaming you. But I believe if you need courage, you can borrow some from Jesus. He can lead you to a place of trust in your Father's care that emboldens you just the same. So we can take this mission and ministry from the dark into the light where it needs to be shared. We can take it from what's whispered in our gatherings right here, shout it from the rooftops. Would you pray with me as we seek to receive this emboldening of the Holy Spirit? To be that extension of Jesus' authority in the world as he sees fit to lead us. Pray with me, Lord Jesus, we're humbled. We don't claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to us, but we believe it's been given to you and that you are using us as an extension of your authority in this world to accomplish your work. And Lord, I pray this morning that the strongholds of fear, the deceit that has captured the minds of so many in this generation would be broken, that power of it would be broken as we are immersed in an understanding of our Father in heaven, his care for us. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son to give, to give his life, to bear wholeness.
for us spiritually. We have the promise of everlasting wholeness on every level. Spiritual, emotional, physical, communal. Every level, Lord. You know the last day that we'll be alive. You know the hairs on our head. You know our concerns. You know the imaginary fears and you know the real ones. And Lord, I pray that we would consider none of them a threat. That you would make us fearless. Because we won't be afraid of even the worst. Death itself. Don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body and after that cannot kill the soul. Give us that mindset where we think only the body. Only the body. Because our soul is so secure in you. Just embolden my brothers and sisters, God. I'm asking for that simple request. A profound request. Break the power of fear. Break the power of fear. And restore to us that fearlessness that comes through trusting in you. Embolden us to be those who operate in your authority, to go, to give, not looking to receive in return. Lord, call to mind the neighbor, call to mind the coworker, call to mind the family member, the person from the past, the person we spoke to on social media that we're going to go give to, that we're going to go proclaim peace to in your name. Lord, we have no fear of rejection. That's your lane. That's your territory. But would many receive your peace? Would many receive the gifts you have for them, Jesus, through our witness? Make us fearless. Make us fearless. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with me as the Lord continues to work in us his plan and purpose to empower us for this kingdom mission that we're all called into. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com. Or stay up to date with us on Instagram at BranchesHB. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.